Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. So last week, if you missed the message last week, it was about making godly decisions. And so you can go back and catch it on the podcast, rccphoenix.com. And uh, you can download those on all your Android or iOS devices or whatever. All that's out there for you. But we talked a little bit about, uh, from Galatians chapter 5 about using that scripture as a filter for what we're, how we're making decisions. And so it kind of came at the beginning of the year, right? But it's not only for the beginning of the year when we're making new plans and new goals and things of that nature. It's also for when we're doing any type of decision throughout our life. So if you missed that, go back and listen to it. But at the end of it, we talked about um, joining in a 14-day fast if you wanted to. Joining me in a 14-day fast. If you didn't, no worries. Just make sure you're still inside your word and you're praying and, and you're uh, communicating with the Lord and following Him wholeheartedly. Um, and if you did decide to join for the fast, you're halfway there. So encouragement for you there. So just fulfill the commitment you made and uh, write out the next week. Not right out, but just, uh, not, that's probably the wrong thing to say, because some people are like, man, I'm hungry. What's well, all right, just push through and, um, and pursue the Lord over the next week. So I want to go one step further past last week, okay? So <clears throat> if you've taken the things, the decisions that, you're, that you want to make with your life, and you submit them to the Lord, you submit them to God, and you're going to have an issue come up, because... At some point in time, when you submit your plans to the Lord, He's going to go, that thing right there on your list? Uh-uh, not going to be doing that one. Hey, I know you want to go this direction, but when you submit your plans to the Lord, there's a very high possibility, almost 100% guaranteed if you're following Christ in any capacity, He's going to say, don't go that direction, go a different direction. And then you're going to have a moment of decision. It's a very critical moment. But you're going to have an opportunity right there to do what you want to do, what you put on that paper and that you planned, or you're going to have the opportunity to submit to him and obey. I've been around ministry for about 20 some years, 25 years. Who's counting anymore, right? Like I'm not old. But um, we, I've been around it for a long time, and I've heard people, when you try to present the gospel to them and you talk to them about the, what the Word of the Lord says, and when they pray and they feel like there's things that they are supposed to do and not supposed to do, I hear sometimes from people, they make this statement. They go, man, that's all good, but I still got to be me. I know that the Bible says I'm going to follow Him, that I can't do these things, I should do these things. Not like a list, but kind of a heart of obedience and I should kind of stay away from going down this road, but I still got to do me. Um, it's just how I get down. You know what I mean? It's just kind of how I roll. I know it's kind of right on the edge. It might be in some kind of area that might want to wander, not really wander into, but you know, that's just me and I got to do me. I don't want to lose myself in this God Jesus thing. Um, I've heard that before. And there's almost like this little temptation to stay not fully engaged, not fully committed, not fully submitted to the Lord. And what we're going to find is that there is a, um, when we have these type of things, when we try to go, you know what, I'll do most of what he said, but there's a couple little things I need to keep back from myself or a couple of little things I need to kind of still point a different direction on. When we do that, we're going to find that it's, it's not going to produce the result that you're really after. 
And so I'm gonna, we're going to review um, uh, the life of somebody that's pretty famous in the Christian world, you know, and if you've read the, uh, been in church anytime or you've read the Old Testament, we're going to talk about one of the first kings um, of Israel, okay? And so when the, but before we do that, when the Lord, I want to I make one thing really clear, and I think it's at the top of your notes. When the Lord asks you to do something at times, those things are not going to be complicated. They're not going to be complex, but they will still be difficult. You don't have to be uh, a master theologian or, you know, somebody who understands calculus or trigonometry to figure out the equation of what the Lord's trying to ask us to do. You don't have to do that. You just have to be obedient because typically his, his directions are more, are very simple but difficult. Example, take that boulder and put it on top of another boulder. Whew, I can't pick that thing up. What's going to happen? How do I get it up? Those are the details, but God says, hey, I just want you to do something simple but yet it's difficult. Understand what I'm saying? So um, be on the lookout for that as you are submitting your plans to the Lord as you go forward from this point. Be on the lookout for that because they will not be complicated, but they will still be tough. So we're going to look at the book of 1 Samuel um, chapter 15. And so, but let me give you a, a little head start, like a little running into what this scripture, where the scripture is at, okay? So, the children of Israel have left Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. God's part of the Red Sea for them. They've gone into the, to the land of Canaan. They were disobedient. They didn't go in and take the land. So they had to wander 40 years in the desert. And then they had to go in and, occupy, and take over um, the land that was being occupied by other people. So this is, the land was promised to them. And when they established in the land of Canaan, they divvied out the land to 11 of the 12 tribes. There's 12 tribes in Israel, 12 different people groups in Israel. Um, you'll hear them referred to as the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of Judah, and so on down the line. Um, they're the names of all of one of the sons of Jacob. So except for one, um, one group named Levi didn't get any land when they dished it out. Those people were supposed to be committed to the church or to the temple, caring for the temple. And they weren't responsible for any land just to do the work of God during the temple. And so how God communicated to the children of Israel is he had a prophet, a single person that was for every time period, and he would speak to the people through the prophet. And he set up another way to govern all the people. So the first line on your notes there is Samuel was the prophet of God during the time of Israel, asked for a human king. Now, this is really important because up until this point, Israel did not have a human king. They only had God, and then they were set up with judges. The next line on your notes is, up until this point, Israel was governed by a series of judges. <clears throat> by a series of judges. So what they would do is they would handle disputes and arguments and people who had any problems with each other. They would bring it to the judge, and the judge would, from the law of God, they would kind of determine uh, who was right, who was wrong, and then what, they would make a judgment based upon whatever the scenario was that needed to be solved. Okay? So there's no king. It's God. He's got these judges in place around that he's, that's helping kind of govern everybody, and he's got a prophet who speaks for him. Everybody follow me? Okay, these are the people that are here. So the people um, are noticing that the judges are getting old and they're starting to die off and they need to be replaced. So Samuel does something that's 
pretty common during this time, and he appoints his own kids, his sons, to take over the roles of all the judges. And this was, you know, he'd been raised up by a prophet, a man of God who speaks for God. He puts them in these judges and these judge positions. The only problem is they're not serving God the way he's serving God. The Bible actually says they're super greedy, like they really want money. And so a lot of their judgments are based on money and getting paid off and all that kind of stuff. So the people who are the, the leaders of these tribes of Israel come to Samuel, the prophet, and say, hey, man, you put all your kids in the judge spots. And I know you love them, but we don't. This has not been good for us. This has not been a, a positive thing. It's a negative thing. They're not like you. And so we want them gone. And while we're at it, we kind of don't like the whole idea of the judges anyway. So Samuel is frustrated because God's the one who implemented this for their country. He's frustrated, but he goes back to the Lord, and the Lord tells him, Hey, I know what they want. They want a human king. And now listen to the reason they gave for wanting a human king. We want to be like all the other nations around us. They have a king. We have God. We can't see him. We got these judges, and we're kind of sticking out here. We want to be like all the other nations around, and we want to have a human king. I'm going to stop right here. They sacrificed their uniqueness that God gave them because they felt like they were the odd man out, not like all the other nations around them. I, I could preach a whole message on that right there. I'm not going to get sidetracked on it. But look, God created you unique. He made you specific, designed you for a purpose that you are supposed to fulfill in His ultimate umbrella of what we call His will, His purpose. You have a small role inside His purpose, but your role is important. Do not sacrifice that because you look around and go, nobody else is kind of living this life. Nobody else is kind of following the Lord. So what? Don't sacrifice your uniqueness because you want to fit in with all these other people that are around you because they roll this way, but I'm the only one sticking out here like a sore thumb. Man, embrace that uniqueness. Why go be normal and just follow the crowd? Take the uniqueness that God has placed in you and on you and live that from that position instead of sacrificing the uniqueness of what God gave you. It has nothing to do with the message. I was just a free one for you. <laughs> <clears throat> so these guys tell Moses, or they tell Samuel, we don't like the whole judge's idea. God tells Samuel, this is going to be really bad, really bad for the people. The, the, the king that they had, this human king, is going to take their sons and put them into war. He's going to take their daughters and put them as servants in his palace and his kingdom. This is not going to go well for them. He's going to impose things on them, like build me a house, build me a palace. You know, I'm the guy that's going to create this class weirdness in the, in the nation. It's not going to be good, but I'm going to give them what they ask for. I'm going to give them what they ask for. So Samuel goes back to the people and says, hey, I just talked to the God, and, and he's saying that this is not going to go well for us. They completely ignore all the warnings, all the down, all the, all the, uh, the down points, all of the, the possible things that are going to happen. And they go, we don't care. We want a king. And so Samuel says, okay, the Lord said he'll give you a king. So God picked a king for them. 
And that next line in your notes, Saul, S-A-U-L, Saul, was the first king of Israel. Saul was the first king of Israel. He became king at the age of 30. The next line in your notes, he became king at the age of 30. And he reigned over Israel for 42 years. 42 years he was allowed to reign. So, Saul was from this really affluent family in the tribe of Benjamin. He was from this really well-respected, well-known guy. They were affluent. They were well-off. And um, this, he was good-looking. He, he, he literally physically stood head and shoulders above everybody else. And if we were all to pick like a leader, he would check off the marks. Good-looking, he's got ability, comes from the right family, he's got backing, the right genes. Man, he's, he looks strong. He fit all of the visual parts that we would all look at and go, this guy should probably be a king and be a leader. But his whole tenure as king is super rocky. It's not good because he continually disobeys God. God tells him to go in this direction and fight this battle, and he does. But while he's there, he kind of deviates from the plan, does a couple things his own way. God continually tells him through Samuel, stop it, man. Hey, just do what I'm telling you to do. And he goes again, has another success, but in the middle of that success obeying God, he still takes a little moment and does a few things his own way. He does this so many times, Samuel is frustrated, and God is kind of, God is, is telling him he's running out of chances to remain the king. And so God gives him one, another assignment. And he says, I want you to go and um, I want you to attack the people who live in the, the land of Amalek. They were the Amalekites. And so the, here's the instructions, okay? It's real important. Nothing survives. People, animals, livestock, everything that's there any living thing is put to death. Don't take anything. No survivors. Nothing for you. They're, they're, this is a judgment for them because they've been disobedient to me. Go out there and just take, wipe, wipe them out completely. Pretty simple, right? Pretty simple instructions. This is where we pick up the story in 1 Samuel 15, 7 through 23 on your notes. Ready? And then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Havliah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He did his job, yeah. But he captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Then, then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm sorry I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this, he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. This is a kicker. Someone told him, Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went on to Gilgal. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greets him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he says. I have carried out the Lord's command. Really? I have carried out the Lord's command. 
Then what, is, um, then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle I hear, Samuel demanded. It's true that the army spared the best sheep, goats, and cattle, Saul admitted, but they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We have destroyed everything else. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop! Listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you, Saul asked, and Samuel told him, Although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they're all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord, your God, in Gilgal. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to His voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, He has rejected you as king. The title of the message tonight is The Heart of Obedience. The Heart of Obedience. Let's look at three specific attitudes that Saul displays in this passage. Okay? He is all over the place. There's a lot going on. Okay? Number one in your notes. The first attitude he displayed was this. I do what I want. I do what I want. How do we know this is his attitude? Saul rolls up into the city. He's waging war against these guys. I can only imagine the rush of victory, hand-to-hand combat. It's not like they're flying drones in there, right? This is way ancient times. You're talking about swords and shields and all of that. He's standing there after the army, a struggle of life and death. He's standing there with the army victorious. He's got to feel that rush of like, "Mm, got him. Feeling the testosterone flowing through his veins a little bit. Feeling like he's the man. He's got it all wired. And they're like, hey, there's only one guy left we haven't killed. It's the king. Hey, don't kill him just yet. I thought it was just to wipe out everybody. No, 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 no. Just don't kill him just yet. Okay, well, we're about to, we, the armies are done. about to kill all, the, all of the calves and the, and the, and the cows and the, and the lambs and everybody. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. Let's pick out a couple of those things to take home. And well, I thought it was to kill them all. We'll kill all the rest of them, but just take the good ones. I mean, we'll sacrifice some of these things to the Lord, but just take a few of these things with us. So he's basically saying, I'm going to follow the Lord to this point and then deviate and still do what I want. Verses 8 and 9. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agad's life and 
kept the best of the sheep and goats and cattle and lambs, everything they appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless of poor quality. Kill everyone, except for this guy. Kill all the animals, except for these few. Go and do what the Lord said. I will, but I still need to kind of keep this one for me. Follow what he's telling you to do. Give up what he's telling you to give up. Sacrifice what he's telling you to sacrifice. Put to death the desires in your heart that are not supposed to be, in, that are not supposed to be allowed to stay, but eh, I'm going to just hold on to one of these. The next line of your notes is a very powerful one. Every act of willful disobedience comes from a heart of arrogance. Every act of willful disobedience comes from a heart of arrogance. When I purposely do opposite of what the Lord has instructed me to do, it shows that there's arrogance present in me that I could tell the Creator of everything what I am and not going to do. It's supreme arrogance. Number two. The second attitude he displayed was this. I'll do things my way. I'll do things my way. Verses 13. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's command. Then what's the bleeding of sheep and goats I hear? Samuel demands. It's true that my army spared the best of the sheep, the goats, and the cattle, Saul admitted, but they are going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We have destroyed everything else. No one told him to bring back anything as a sacrifice to God. No one told him to capture a man and bring him back. No one told him to take the plunder and come back and put it in the temple or give it to the prophet or distribute it out however he saw fit. No, that was not the instruction. The instruction was go and wipe out everything. But he says, no, nah, not only I do what I want, I'm going to do things my way. I find it really interesting that he says, I have carried out the Lord's command but with a little twist. He tries to show Samuel how great his own idea was and how great things are going to turn out. Because, sure, we could just go out there and wipe all these people out, but how much better would it be if we kept some of that stuff and came back and gave a sacrifice to the Lord? I mean, after I made a monument to myself in the last city. How great would that be? Next line in your notes. I hope you remember this one, because this was a tough one for me to swallow. Partial obedience is disobedience. Eee. Some of y'all are never coming back again after this. Like, I got a whipping today. No, 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 I got the whipping, trust me. Partial obedience is disobedience. The Lord isn't asking Saul to follow his instructions and then insert what he wants into it. He's also not asking us to do that either. Saul's acts of disobedience show that his heart, the next line of your notes, was not fully submitted 
to God. His constant acts of disobedience reveal his heart was not fully submitted to God. He did what the Lord wanted, and mostly. But he needed to get his way in there just a little bit. Having to get his own way in the middle of what the Lord has directed him to do shows a rebellion and a selfishness and a destructive, self-centered attitude that says, I'll do things my own way that the Lord would not honor. Number three. The third attitude that Saul displayed in this passage was, I'll twist the truth. I'll twist the truth. Verses 18 through 21. And the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they're all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush from the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? I did obey the Lord. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everybody else. Then my troops brought the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. I addressed this once before, and I I felt like it was appropriate to maybe just kind of tell on myself one more time. I used to be very good at this, and it was not a positive trait. I used to be really good at this. Um, Some of you guys know that my wife and I um, were involved in the music industry for a long time, and we had a group of people that we still are so close to and absolutely love and adore to this day. We have great relationships with them. And um, we were traveling and touring and selling CDs and putting them in bookstores and iTunes and all that kind of stuff. And it came around the time where people were getting nominated for awards in the music industry, in the Christian music industry. And somebody that I knew pretty well got nominated for the award and the group of people that we were with did not. And I knew that person. Kind of knew what was going on in their life. Knew what kind of shade, knew their blind spots, knew all, knew all of that stuff. And I was lit. I was mad. I was angry. I was frustrated. And I got in front of our group of people as the good old righteous leader that I was. And I didn't unleash on them. I unleashed in front of them. And the anger and the frustration and the venom and the vitriol that came out of my mouth is embarrassing to say the least. After I had gone on for several minutes about how jacked up this was and this is unfair and da 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 all this kind of stuff, I kind of got that moment of conviction that hit me and went, ooh, I probably shouldn't be doing this. And at that moment, I could have said, you know what, guys, I am an idiot. I'm out of control. I'm sorry. Ignore everything I said the last five or nine minutes. You know, just ignore all that and then I'm sorry and walked away. But nope. Because I was really good at the thing called the twist. When I realized I was wrong for being angry and saying all the things that I had just come out of my mouth, I immediately went into, this makes me look bad and I can't look bad, so I'm going to shift. 
guys, I know I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm frustrated and you can probably tell I'm angry, but I'm not angry at anything else, but I just wanted it for you. <laughs> I just wanted you guys to be recognized. I just wanted y'all's hard work to, to rise to the to level of being recognized. And, you know, I just, my heart hurts for you. And instead of owning up to the garbage that was coming out of my mouth, which was rooted in my heart, I tried really quick to dress it up, twist it a little bit, and drape it in a different coat and make myself look noble. It was hard because the next day I had to come back in that room after spending time with the Lord the next morning in prayer and him going, hey boy, that's not going to fly. And I had to stand there in front of all these people I loved so much and say, yesterday I was wrong. And the root of everything that came out of my mouth yesterday was, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. Somebody else got the recognition and not even that we didn't, that I didn't get. <clears throat> and I repent before you and say there's no way you should have been subject to what came out of my mouth because it was rooted in a heart of jealousy, and envy, and anger. I saw myself a little bit when I read this part of the story because I saw Saul go, I did do what he said. I was just going to go an extra step. I was just going to come and bring a sacrifice to God. I was just going to kind of come and do what I wanted to do on top of what he said. But I could dress up my terrible heart all I wanted and cover them in some way to appear noble. But what was on the inside of my heart was what mattered to God. Remember the scripture, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks the heart because he can see the motives that we don't show anybody else. It took me a while to get out of being good at dressing up garbage as great gold and to be honest enough to go, I was lying. My actions and my words didn't match up. I twisted the truth. I was lying. This was a bitter pill for me to swallow because Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says this. There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, which was the Bible's way of saying arrogance. A lying tongue. That was me. Hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sword, sword, sows discord in a family. If we are really going to have a heart of obedience, we're going to have to be honest with ourselves. Why? God already knows the truth. You can go back and try to justify everything that you've done. And I brought this sacrifice to you, God, just like Saul did. I did this for you. I did this to do extra big things for the prophet and for everybody else. But he knows that inside it was your arrogance. 
sorry, my arrogance, my dishonesty, my desire to do what I wanted to do and not submit to what he wanted. Number four, it's not an attitude, but it's a fourth point I wanted to get in here. God's purpose will be accomplished. God's purpose will be accomplished. Verses 10 and 11. When the Lord said to Samuel, then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm sorry I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Earlier English translations, next on your notes, of the scripture say the Lord repented. The Lord repented for making Saul king. When I saw that, I was kind of perplexed because who does God repent to? Like, who does he say sorry to? Like, we're, I, know, I know that we're supposed to repent of our sins and turn from our wicked ways, but he's not wicked. He's never been wrong. He's never, there's no shadow of turning. There's no darkness in him. There, he is perfect. How in the world did he repent? And when I got into the study of the original language and the word in Hebrew, the word doesn't mean he was saying sorry because he did something wrong. The, mean, the word means he had a change of operation, a change of disposition. He changed the way he was going to operate. He told Saul, hey man, you're the king. And when he kept disobeying and he kept doing what he wanted and he kept having a heart of arrogance and he kept trying to do things, God's things his way, God said, I'm not going to be able to allow you to stay the king and eventually removed him. He removed the kingdom from Saul because of his disobedience. Saul's disobedience was his undoing and cost him a chance to remain Israel's king. God now would move on and establish another king through another family. James 4, 4-6 proves this point in the New Testament. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We see this character trait all throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. God looks at the proud and opposes them, and for the humble, He gives grace. If you're one of those people who I talked about at the beginning who was like, this is all cool, but I got to do me. This is, uh, I know what this is supposed to be and where I'm supposed to go and kind of what the Scripture says and you know, I'm supposed to live my life in this way if I'm going to serve Christ and I'm going to be a believer. I'm going to live in this direction and kind of avoid some of these things. But, man, I got to get down. I got to get down. Maybe you just do the wrong things and try to cover them up with a God motive. God told me to do this this way. I would warn all of us and remind myself... <laughs> 
against taking these positions. Why? Next line in your notes, Saul was A, chosen by God. <clears throat> but B, Saul was removed by God. And C, Saul was replaced by God with someone who was, quote, these are God's word about the next king. He's after my own heart. 1 Samuel 13, 13 through 14 says this. This is Samuel talking to Saul. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed, you have not kept the command your, the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, listen to this, had you obeyed, had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. One of the first Sundays we were here, we talked about having a tool in our tool belt, and, at, and it's a question. You guys remember the question? We're going to remind you and put the tool back in your tool belt, all right? The question is, what does that mean? Ask that question. Because when I heard a man after my own heart, I mean, it seems positive, but what does that mean? Um, what does that phrase, a man after God's own heart, mean? I looked up a couple of biblical commentaries and put the, their answers because I thought they were really good in your notes. The Kaufman and Adam Clark biblical commentaries describe that phrase this way. A heart agreeable, it's the next line in your notes, a heart agreeable to the will of God. Someone who recognized God as the king of Israel and was that he was merely a representative. Someone with strict attention to the next line, worshiping God. Someone that even receiving, even after receiving the punishments for his own moral sins, which David did, still acknowledged the righteousness and goodness of God. That king that was a man after God's own heart was Israel's most famous king in history. King David. There's a quote from a book, a uh, pastor and author, Tim Keller, tells a story of a woman who realized the depth of the gospel for the first time. And I thought this quote summed up the two sides of the heart we're talking about today. Saul's position and the position of a man after God's own heart. Listen to what she said when she realized the depth of the gospel for the first time. I know why I want my morality to save me. Because if I'm saved by my good works, then, like a taxpayer, I have rights. I've paid into the system, and God owes me a good and decent life. And there is a limit to what the Father can ask of me. But, if I am saved by sheer grace then my life belongs entirely to the Father. He owes me nothing, and there is no limit to what He can ask of me. Do you see the two distinctions? Do you see the two sides of the coin? Do you see the heart that says, I want to do things my way? If I could just 
pay my penance and earn my way back to salvation, then there's a limit to what God can ask of me. But since I'm completely saved by grace, there's nothing He can't ask of me. And I'm completely indebted to Him. Do you see the two hearts on display? This message is not titled The Reward of Obedience on Purpose. This message is not titled The Payoff for Obedience. It's not titled The Blessings of Obedience because our culture is way too focused on what do I get in every scenario. What do I get, man? Don't give my life to God. I'm going to submit to Christ. What do I get? House? Be out of debt? My family's all good? No problems anywhere around? For generations? Do I get blessings, financial rewards? What do I get, man? The message is called the heart of obedience. Why? Because when we truly love God and we submit to Him, we're pursuing Him fully and we want His will more than our own, our heart has been changed. Do you see all the shadiness going on with Samuel or with Saul when he was trying to explain, I did what God said, but... I just kept this one guy alive. I did what God said, but... And he tried to cover it up and built a monument to himself in this big display of arrogance. He's the first king. That's what his heart was full of. I want you to listen to just six little snippets of Scripture from the king that was after God's own heart. Psalms 42. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go stand before Him? Psalms 40, verses 4 and 5. O the joys of those who trust the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud or those who worship idols. O Lord, my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans are too numerous to list. You have no equal. I, I, if I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. Psalms 33 verses 4 and 5, for the word of the Lord holds true and we can trust everything he does. He loves whatever is just and good. The unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth. Psalms 28 8, my heart has, said, has heard you say, come and talk to me, talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Psalm 1830, God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for those who look to him for protection. Psalm 14, 1 and 4 through 6. Only fools say in their heart there is no God. They are corrupt and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. Will those who, will, will those who do evil never learn? They eat up. Uh, my people like bread and wouldn't think of praying to the Lord. Terror will grip them for God is with those who obey him. The wicked frustrate the plans of the oppressed, but the Lord will protect his people. Do you see the difference between the two? 
the one that says, I do what I want. I'm going to go build a monument to myself. I'm going to do what you say, Lord, but I'm still going to do it my way. I'm going to keep interjecting myself in here. And this guy is, and then the heart of the other person is saying, God, you are good. You called to me and I listen. When can I go back in front of you? you your, your ways are too numerous to even count. My heart longs for you the same way that a deer pants for water. This is the difference between the two. Do you see it? The reward of obedience, the payoff for obedience, the blessing of obedience, it's Him. He's the reward. He's the payoff. He's the greatest blessing above anything else we could have ever been given. Ever, any combination of the best thing you could ever think that you would want in your life. He is so much greater, that's not even a fraction of how great He is. He is the reward of obedience. His purpose being fulfilled is the reward of obedience. It's Him. He is the greatest blessing we could ever receive. He is the most trustworthy, the most powerful, the most loving, the most forgiving, the most gracious, the most merciful, the most beautiful creator, Abba Father, Yahweh, the Almighty God. It is Him. What do I get? What's my payoff? If that's the question, there's a blind spot in your heart, my friend. If what I get from serving God is the driving factor outside of getting Him, the redemption to God, the payment for my sins, Him taking the place on the cross that was rightly and justly for me, if our heart is not pure before Him. What does that word pure mean? Free from debris. Not perfect. If there's the debris of self floating around in our heart, we're going to ask, what do I get? But if we are submitted to Him, submit yourself to the mighty hand of God. He will exalt you during, in due time. If we submit to Him, we submit our plans to Him. If when He tells us, go do this, and I don't want to do that, or He says, don't do this, and I want to do that, and I have the moment of opportunity of decision, will my heart of obedience be seen? Because that, my friends, is more important than any payoff I could get.